G'day, and welcome to another week of Stick Together, bringing you union news, workers' stories, and discussion on social justice issues. This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast around the country via the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Kunkel. This week on the show, we look at the recent Queensland election, where as the last votes are counted, it appears the Labor government has secured a wafer-thin majority. We examine the union movement's role in the campaign and speak with the Queensland Council of Unions' Ros McLennan and the Not For Sale campaign's coordinator, Stewie Trail. But first, some union news. The Melbourne docks have once again become an industrial flashpoint as two disputes broke out last week. A community assembly is maintaining a 24-hour presence at the gates of VICT, the Australian subsidiary of international stevedoring company ICTSI. The assembly is in response to the sacking of a worker who had stood up to management over bullying and harassment. ICTSI are renowned internationally for their union-busting behaviour, sacking and intimidating workers to drive down pay. The International Transport Union, the ITF, are currently campaigning against them in a series of ports across the globe. ICTSI are a relatively new entrant to the Melbourne docks and are covered by an agreement that is well below the prevailing industry rates, having been negotiated with a small, hand-picked group of workers prior to the rest of the workforce being hired. While the Federal Court has made orders for the Maritime Union of Australia to stop picketing, the community has taken up the fight, unwilling to allow union busting on our docks. The community assembly is at 78 Web Dock Road, Port Melbourne, and continues 24 hours a day. Follow the Stick Together program Facebook page for further updates. Also at the docks this week, NUW members at the bulk liquid terminals secured victory after a three-day strike against company plans to cut manning levels and slash pay by more than $4,000 a year. The union has reported that members have now agreed in principle to a new deal that rebuffs company claims and includes 10% wage growth spread over the next three years. Malcolm Turnbull has landed an impressive backflip and agreed to call a royal commission into banks in the financial sector. He was pressured into it by rogue coalition backbenchers who had threatened to join with Labor and the Greens to call such an inquiry. Instead of risking a damaging royal commission with terms he couldn't control, he has capitulated, but only after the big four banks wrote to him, appearing to allow the Prime Minister to call the commission. It's clear that the banks too were worried about the inevitability of an inquiry and are seeking to limit the political damage. In a galling but completely unsurprising move, Turnbull has sought to draw unions into the commission by including industry superannuation funds in the terms of reference. The government has made no secret that it is targeting industry super funds to limit union representation on their boards. This is at a time when the big banks are also trying to muscle in on what they see as a lucrative new source of capital. The finance sector union has welcomed the Royal Commission, particularly the focus it will have on the staffing and employment practices of banks. Last Wednesday, November 29, the aviation section of the Transport Workers' Union staged a National Day of Action, marching through airports and conducting leafleting across the country. Workers are campaigning against split shifts, which sees some workers spend 17 hours a day at the airport, but only being paid for six. Split shifts are where workers are required to work two non-current shifts on the same day. Split shifts and low pay at baggage handling company Aerocare were revealed in a Four Corners expose this year showing the heavy oppression of workers forced to sleep on site in service tunnels and plant rooms. These workers were being paid poverty line wages and worked until they physically dropped. These unsafe workloads were reportedly behind two critical incidents at airports this year, where a cargo door was left open prior to takeoff and another where a supervisor was locked in the hold of a plane. 
Though with the heavy repression, we can probably understand workers wanting to send their supervisor on an unplanned trip. The TWU is continuing its campaign for a new enterprise agreement with the company, seeking to lift wages and provide fairer rostering. In response, the company is seeking to enshrine the legality of split shifts in the relevant awards. Workers at Melbourne's Women's Health West stopped work for half an hour last Wednesday in response to their employer's refusal to negotiate a fair enterprise agreement. The workers, who are members of the Australian Services Union, provide support and services for family violence survivors and have been trying to negotiate an agreement for two years. The employer has stonewalled the workers, instead drafting an agreement without consultation and pushing it out to a vote. In a message to members, the union said that it was possibly the first time that such a service had taken stop work action. These predominantly women workers taking action support some of Victoria's most vulnerable women and children. Their commitment to action shows the serious nature of the dispute and the level of disrespect that these workers feel having their demands ignored. The action was taken to coincide with the World Health Organization's 16 days of activism against gender-based violence, which runs between November 25 and December 10. Legal action to secure the stolen wages of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers is set to spread to courts in New South Wales, WA and the Northern Territory. A class action is already underway in Queensland courts, seeking recompense for the slave-like conditions ANTSI workers were subjected to. Across the nation, it was not uncommon for ANTSI workers to be paid nothing but starvation rations of flour, sugar and tea. In some cases, these horrific conditions continued right up until the early 1970s. The discrimination against ANTSI people continues, with one example being the Commonwealth Government's Community Development Program. The CDP program is an amended work for the Dole Scheme, operating in remote communities. It sees ANTSI people required to work additional hours compared to other Australian workers for the same welfare payments. For more information about the CDP program, search Facebook for First Nations Workers Alliance. The New South Wales branch of the Health Services Union has had a significant victory in the Supreme Court, leading to a windfall for thousands of current and former employees of New South Wales Health. The union successfully argued that time employed as a casual employee should be counted as service towards the accrual of long service leave. Until the case, New South Wales Health only counted time served as a permanent worker towards the entitlement. The win will see many current employees able to access their long service leave sooner and many others will be entitled to large back payments. The case will provide a disincentive for the New South Wales government to engage people in insecure, casual positions over very long terms, reducing the perceived cost benefits. If you're a former employee of New South Wales Health, you can contact the HSU on 1300 478 679. In international news, the Public Transport Union of Korea has concluded a week-long strike against RATP Dev Transdev in Seoul. The KPTU called for the strike of Metro workers on the number 9 train line after its demands for safer staffing, better fatigue management and a fairer work-life balance were not met. The company targeted by the union is associated with the same company that operates many of Australia's public buses. The claims of the KPTU closely mirror those made by the RTBU and TWU in recent times about improving safety and rostering, demonstrating a concerted international capital strategy to maximise profits at the expense of public transport workers and commuter safety. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news.
broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. In Queensland, the Labor government was seeking a new term against a Liberal national opposition led by Tim Nichols, who himself was the former treasurer in the Newman government. They also faced a resurgent One Nation party, who were widely touted to take up to 10 seats and hold the balance of power. While votes were still being counted at the time of recording, the Labor Party appears to have secured a wafer-thin majority to take into the next term of Parliament. As with other recent elections, the union movement was heavily involved in the campaign. For more information, we're joined by the Secretary of the Queensland Council of Unions, Ros McLennan. Ros, the election in Queensland was another closely run affair, and as we speak there are still votes being counted. Can you give us a bit of a background on how the Queensland union movement participated in the election campaign? With a lot of enthusiasm and hard work, as we, as we always do. But this was a particularly important election, Matt, because of the resurgence of One Nation. One Nation's contribution to Queensland government would have been chaos, confusion and some um, pretty dangerous and divisive policies that would have seen our state go backwards. So what the QCU did was target 17 electorates across the state. We had target seat coordinators on the ground, working with a strong network of union members and community supporters on the issues that really matter to working families. How we how we discovered um, the policy priorities of Queensland workers was, you know, we asked them. So we had two series of union town hall meetings um, since June this year where we discussed the policy priorities that matter to the lives of working families. And Queenslanders told us their top priorities were building on the strong track record of creating secure jobs. Workers also told us that their priority was restoring frontline services. Again, something that was slashed under Campbell, Campbell Newman and Tim Nichols. And the importance of retaining our publicly owned assets in public hands, all without trashing workplace rights. And one of the other big issues that's been spoken about a lot in the media is the Adani coal mine and the Labor government's position on whether it would be built or not. Um, can you tell us how that factored into the union campaign? Yeah, so it, Adani wasn't one of the issues that um, unions campaigned on in this election. Um, the advice we got from our members across the state was mixed on Adani. There were some union members that were strongly in support of the mine and there were others of our members that were um, just as strongly um, not in support. We decided to focus our attention on the issues, those four issues I mentioned that, that drew our union movement together. The Queensland Council of Unions in the election campaign didn't have a position on Adani, instead focusing on jobs, frontline services, retaining workplace rights and keeping our public assets in public hands. Other groups clearly were very vocal about um, the Adani issue and that certainly played out during the course of the four-week election campaign. Did you adopt different tactics in the different regions? I think that's fair to say that we did. Certainly in the city seats, we, um, we led on the issue of um, the importance of building on the restoration of frontline services that were cut under the former LNP government of Campbell Newman and, um, and Tim Nicholls. So we led with that issue there, whereas in the regions... We did lead on some of the, um, the positive policies that 
um, the state Labor government had brought in during its time in office, including the unashamedly by Queensland procurement policy that really emphasised the importance and gave priority to locals for jobs and local businesses for you know, pretty significant projects that, um, that that government was spending on. So we did lead on by Queensland. There are other great workplace rights initiatives under, of the Labor government supported by unions like labour hire regulation that we spoke about a lot in regional Queensland. And the labour hire laws um, in Queensland at the moment are, you know, the first of its type in the country that really do a lot to ensure that the bottom feeders in labour hire industry aren't exploiting the most vulnerable workers in our community. We also talked about um, the very new industrial manslaughter laws brought in by the state government that would be under threat if the government changed. So Queensland brought in industrial manslaughter laws recently it means that if a dodgy boss operates an unsafe workplace and a worker dies because of the negligence and cutting corners on safety by putting profit over people, then the dodgy boss is held responsible. It's not just a matter of the company copying um, a financial penalty, but there's a, a threat of imprisonment um, for the people in charge of the site as well. So, you know, they're all, they're all really great, strong... Um, worker issues that really resonated with people in um, regional and, and North Queensland. Union electoral campaigns in recent times have pushed a put the Liberals last message. How did the Queensland unions deal with the fact that One Nation also posed a viable electoral threat? Mm. Well, our message um, in terms of a preference statement, we announced it at the beginning of the campaign um, proper and we urge voters to put One Nation last in all of our target seats where One Nation was running a candidate. In terms of the election materials that we were handing out on polling booth, we advised workers to um, put One Nation last and put the LNP second last. And essentially, we throughout the campaign, we connected One Nation to the LNP. You know, it was mathematically impossible for the LNP to govern without the support of One Nation. That means chaos for Queensland, as well as a return to the mass job cuts, slashing public services and privatisation push, as well as our workplace rights and protections being under threat. And we know federally, of course, that One Nation has shown time and time again that they're no friend of workers. They were basically LNP in, um, in orange T-shirts. A vote for One Nation was a vote for the LNP. That's what we were telling regional Queenslanders. And in the southeast corner, a vote for the LNP could only deliver... Um, a state government that had One Nation as part of it. Unions do face a challenge in speaking to their members about One Nation. It's a challenge that other states will face in coming times with more elections around the place. Mm. What are the lessons that can be drawn from the Queensland campaign? To tell you the truth, you know, I, I learnt lessons from the WA campaign um, before us because clearly voters, you know, workers in WA were, were pretty much repulsed by the thought of One Nation um, doing a cosy preference deal with the LNP. And while they weren't as explicit about it in the Queensland election, soon as their preference statement came out and you could see that One Nation was preferencing LNP in over 50 seats where they were running a candidate, you don't have to be um, Einstein to work out what the real agenda, what the real agenda is. And prior to the election, pundits were talking about One Nation having a seat count in the double digits, like you said. How did the pundits get it so wrong? I think probably what the polls were and research was picking up ahead of the election is that people really did have concerns about major political parties' ability to address the issues that we know workers face. 
And I think One Nation tapped into the problems um, that workers face, that, that unions often um, lead their members in, you know, finding solutions to as well. But in the case of One Nation, you know, they wallowed around in the problems and then, you know, laid the... Um, laid the blame at, at, at the foot of, um, you know, Muslims and, and people from overseas, you know, as opposed to laying the problems fair and square where they belong at the, at the feet of, um, you know, major corporations, multinationals and the very rich. And now after the election, how do unions continue to deal with the growing support for One Nation within the working class? Well, I think actually that the election result shows that they don't have deep and growing support among the working class. After all, you know, One Nation talked themselves up in the lead-up to the Queensland election. It looks very much like they're only set to win one seat. The awful thing about the seat that they won is they look, it looks very much like they've, um, you know, taken the seat from uh, Jimmy Pearce in Morani, who's, you know, former coal miner, former CFMEU um, officer. I'd, I'd struggle to find anyone who cares about working people and, you know, was such a staunch advocate for their issues as Jim Pearce. Having said that, if One Nation wins one seat out of 93, I don't call that strong support for One Nation. You know, I, I think that um, working people are, are basically onto them. The politics of division, chaos and confusion haven't worked here in Queensland, which is One Nation's supposed heartland. One Nation have been revealed as, you know, piss and wind, essentially. Working people are right onto them. That was Queensland Council of Union Secretary Ros McLennan. You're listening to Stick Together, broadcast around the nation on the Community Radio Network. The issue of privatisation of public assets featured heavily in the recent Queensland election. The Electrical Trades Union were one of the driving forces behind a grassroots campaign called Not For Sale. We're joined by ETU organiser and Not For Sale campaign coordinator Stewie Trail. Stewie, the 2015 Queensland election was fought on a number of issues, but the then Newman government's plans to sell more of the state's assets featured quite heavily. Why was the decision made to reboot the campaign, and can you give us a bit of background about what you hope to achieve? Well, the Nofasal campaign actually kicked off in 2012 when the um, the, the Bly Labor government um, was going through the, the process of, of privatising the, um, the Queensland Rail um, network. So um, we understood... The, the downsides to privatisation, the, the loss of jobs, loss of services, increased costs, and the loss of profitable revenue in the, into um, in the general state revenue back as far as 2012. Um, fast forward to this election, we were hoping that we wouldn't have to deal with privatisation. We were hoping that governments wouldn't touch it. Um, but there was a real concern with the emergence of One Nation. Um, given that One Nation say a whole lot, particularly around privatisation and foreign ownership and then actually do exactly the opposite. Um, the example of uh, their support of the one-third sale of the Kidman cattle station, the largest cattle station in this country, to Chinese investors. Um, and also the fact that they preferenced um, the Colin Barnett Western Australian government um, and did the dirty preference deal over there, which could have led to the Barnett government taking power when one nation knew that, um, that their sole policy was to privatise Western Power. And also, with Tim Nichols as the leader of the LNP, as a real risk that if he, it, whilst he was silent on this issue and he was rejecting privatisation, uh, the Queensland public knew that, um, that Tim Nichols had invested so much of his political capital in 2015 
So, Stewie, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about how the Not For Sale campaign interacted with One Nation and how the campaign dealt with the growing support for One Nation within workers in Queensland. The issue of One Nation um, needed to be um, dealt with on a number of levels. We needed to not only go out and talk to our, our union members on sites that, um, that are disheartened with the, with the major parties and are looking for something different, but we had to take a, a responsible stand and start to educate our members that some of the hate that's going on in this country, some of the attacks through this election campaign by One Nation volunteers are, um, are a reflection of the, of the actions of Pauline Hanson and some of the, the hate-filled speech that um, she throws about so frequently. So we went to, to work sites. We obviously monitored our Facebook page and if there was any of our members that were um, that were supportive of One Nation on Not For Sale, um, that we would have one-on-one -on -one conversations and educate them that Pauline Hanson is no friend of the worker, that it was One Nation that again yesterday um, are, are supporting the penalty rate cuts of the Liberals. So they are taking money out of Australian workers, Australian battlers that are um, some of our lowest paid in the country. We um, educated people, particularly in the construction industry and the power industry, that it was One Nation that supported the Australian Building and Construction Commission and the Associated Building Code, which takes away our ability to lock in apprentice numbers into agreement, which takes away our ability to have restrictions on the use of foreign labour. So once again, One Nation say that they um, um, protect Australian battlers and Australian workers and then vote for legislation that takes away their rights. So they're the conversations we had in the workplace. Uh, but as far as the campaign goes, we, we had some focus group polling done and it was very clear that there's two different distinct groups within One Nation. You've got the um, at the risk of, of cop and flak, you've got the, the, um, the white racist rednecks, um, and then you've got the battlers, the ones that are looking for something different. If you drill down into the, the battlers, um, they're single income people, uh, people that are, are struggling to pay for mortgages um, and their bills, uh, there are people that may be on, um, um, that are on welfare, uh, people that are on um, disability pensions. It was critical that we actually understood where their head was at. And if you look at those, those groups, um, they support the roles of unions in the workplace. They oppose penalty rate cuts. Um, they oppose cuts to pensions. They despise privatisation and were le less likely to vote for One Nation if they knew that that would lead to an LNP government. So um, obviously the, the information that we um, went out in the letterboxes in our DL flyers um, linked Campbell Newman to Tim Nichols, linked Tim Nichols to, um, to high electricity prices under his watch. Our target was to aim for about 4 to 5% of those potential One Nation voters to get them to think about what is important to them and, um, and thankfully, when we're out door knocking right across the state and talking to punters, uh, people still recognise that Tim Nichols would likely sell our assets and the only way that he could get that, that um, opportunity is with the support of One Nation. And Why do you think the issue of privatisation resonates so strongly with the people of Queensland? I think um, I'd like to take a little bit of credit for that, that, um, that we've um, educated people well and truly before um, asset sales became a, um, a political um, agenda. Um, we've had this fight now for, um, for, for nearly 10 years um, against privatisation and the people of Queensland, I think it's maybe to a, a little bit of, of um, parochialism. Um, it, I think the, um, the large size of Queensland with people distributed 
um, right across the whole state, um, with um, particularly in places with low population density. Electricity is important to a lot of those farmers um, that rely on pumps uh, to keep their cattle alive, um, uh, pumps to keep their, their, their crops growing. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's National Party, Liberal Party members, um, the average um, punter or a worker in Queensland, um, they outwardly reject privatisation. We've obviously got the, um, the uniform tariff policies. Uh, you li if you live on Thursday Island or out the back of um, Cunnamulla or in Brisbane, you pay the same for your electricity. So um, that's a huge um, thing that people want to hold on to, particularly in the regions. And, Stewie, during this election, the Labor Party announced that it would build a new one gigawatt solar plant and that, importantly, it would be 100% owned by the people. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, that was a significant announcement. Um, obviously, the Queensland Government have got their 50% um, uh, renewable energy target. Um, so this is a, an issue that, um, that, that our union's been taking up on behalf of our members and making sure that, um, that um, with the uptake of uh, private investment in the renewable space, which we're seeing at the moment, that we also maintained public ownership. Um, we didn't want to see um, the generation sector within, within Queensland uh, privatised by stealth um, as um, private uh, power station, renewable power stations were built. So we've been lobbying the um, Queensland Government. Uh, Mark Bailey, the Energy Minister, has been a, um, a leader in this space in renewable energy and also using um, the Lean Group, which is the Labor Environmental Action Network uh, within the ALP to basically get the numbers at the last state um, ALP conference to get a commitment not only to the just transition, it's important that the workers in the power generation industry have a just transition um, so we don't end up with things like we've seen with the, um, the closure of, um, uh, of the car manufacturing business with high unemployment in some of those towns. So the Queensland Government are committed to a just transition, but thankfully have also committed to the one gigawatt um, construction of a publicly owned power station and uh, we'll continue to work with the um, Palaszczuk government over, over this term um, to deliver that and also deliver the just transition to the workers um, across the state. Stewie Trail, thanks very much for joining us on Stick Together. Thank you very much for your time. Well, that's it for the show this week. Thanks to Ros and Stewie for speaking with us. Extended versions of their interviews can be found alongside the link to this week's podcast. You can find the podcast of this show and others by heading to www.3cr.org.au forward slash stick together. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast around the nation on the community radio network. The show is only made possible by support from listeners like you. So call your local community radio station and subscribe today. If you'd like to contact the producers of the show, you can email us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or call us on 03-9419-8377. We'd love to get your feedback on Facebook too. Just search for Stick Together Program. More information about the Community Assembly at WebDoc can be found by searching Facebook for We Are Workers Solidarity. Finally, remember, wherever you are and whatever you do, there is a union for you. I've been Matt Kunkel. Until next time, stick together. Yeah.